This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Especially for women who work in an office or in a kind of public space or professional space outside the home, I think that women deal with sexism, obviously, in those spaces, and um, ageism. And I think talking about menopause feels like just bringing attention to your age in a way that most women I know don't feel comfortable out of a sense of self-protectiveness. Welcome to How To. I'm Courtney Martin. Today, we are going to talk about menopause. Now listen, if I'd said that 20 years ago, or even 10, even 5 maybe, a lot of you would have been shocked. But menopause is having a bit of a moment. Articles about it are going viral. New products to help cope with it are flooding the market. It seems like women are finally talking about it out loud, in public, even if still a little tentatively. And men are finally waking up to the ways in which they're affected via partners and friends by this slightly mysterious part of life. And yet, there is still such a long way to go before we more broadly and accurately understand what the hell menopause really is and how it should be treated by medical professionals. Thankfully, we've got two stellar guests today, including a friend of mine who is not afraid to lay it all out there. My name is Katie. I'm 43 years old, and I am calling in from Oakland, California. I'm a cisgendered, heterosexual woman who has been in a partnership for many years, and I have no children. And I'm biracial, mixed, black, and white, and I'm obsessed with my own menopause journey. (laughs) Now, Katie suspects she is entering the early stage known as perimenopause. That's basically the on-ramp to menopause, which usually starts between ages 40 to 44. Like me, she has a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. We're both part of a women's group that meets every month here in Oakland. There are about 20 of us from diverse racial and professional backgrounds. We're mostly all in our 40s, and we talk about everything under the sun. But our recent meeting about menopause was, well, how shall I put this? Basically epic. I mean, who knew we had so many feelings and so much confusion about it? Susan Dominus did. That's who. She's a veteran New York Times journalist who published an article back in the spring that kind of broke the internet. It was called Women Have Been Misled About Menopause. So I have to admit that when the topic was 
assigned to me. I did hesitate. You know, I sort of thought, am I branding myself in a certain way <laughs> that like maybe is not the brand that I want going forward? And um, it was my college friends, you know, who were also confused about the topic themselves. They said, yeah, there is stigma around menopause. And that's why you need to write this article because we, you know, people need to change that or work towards changing that. So they scolded me into doing it. And in the end, I would say within two weeks of reporting it, I wrote an email to my editor and said, I think this, this might be the most important article I ever do. Like I just, I, I thought it was really compelling and that there was information that women weren't getting. It was certainly compelling to Katie and her friends. I was forwarded this article by 13 different people. <laughs> and oh, wow. I, forwarded wow. it, I forwarded it to like probably another 13 or something because everyone was like, oh my God, you're like the third person who sent me this today. I think that it's because a lot of us have been noticing, you know, things maybe changing a bit in our own bodies. Like I spent all these years getting to know my own body and what it likes and what it doesn't like. And then all of a sudden it felt like slowly none of that knowledge is like applicable anymore. And I think a lot of my women friends who, you know, are biologically female, they also are having the same experience, but there isn't a lot of conversation about it. You know, menopause has always seemed like this punchline kind of crudely drawn about, you know, being cranky or hysterical or something like that. Um, I didn't even know the term perimenopause until Courtney shared it with me. <laughs> and, um, you know, it just, kind of woke up for me like, wow, there's just so much I don't know. And it really infuriated me that um, there's just not very much information out there available to women. Like, why isn't this more popular? On today's show, we're going to dive all the way in. Our expert, Susan Dominus, is not a medical professional, but she has talked to about a million of them in her reporting on this topic and brings a wealth of knowledge. And Katie offers up her own experiences as a window into the struggle so many women have to get compassionate medical support and navigate the complicated symptoms of middle age. Now, importantly, I want to flag something. We use the term women a lot in this episode, but of course, many people who don't identify as women experience menopause. That includes non-binary and trans folks, another group of people that the medical establishment often fails. Ugh. Now, listen. Our conversation won't answer every question you have about menopause, but I guarantee you're going to learn a lot. And if you don't think this episode is for you, think again. You probably know somebody who's going through menopause right now, and this could be really helpful. So stay tuned. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch subject to credit approval. 
Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. We're back with Susan Dominus of the New York Times and our listener, Katie, who is telling us about her menopause journey. Don't you just love that term? Tell us about where you feel like you are in that journey. Like what symptoms are you experiencing? What are some mm-hmm. of your frustrations? Yeah, I am experiencing many symptoms, several of which I am connecting to perimenopause on my own. And when I talked to my doctor about it, um, she was like, yeah, could be. So <laughs> it's all a little hazy for me. But, um, you know, some of the symptoms I'm experiencing are um, vaginal dryness and um, fatigue. Uh, I gain weight much more quickly. And um, I, I, I'm a regular exerciser. I, I'm, I drink alcohol socially. My tolerance has been much lower. I just got back from a trip to New Orleans and it was like, I really felt that experience a lot more (laughs) intensely than um, I might have five years ago. What happened in New Um, Orleans did not stay in New Orleans. No, (laughs) ma'am. It came right back to Oakland with me. Attention, how-to listener. Consider what you just heard to be a shot across the bow for what's ahead in this particular episode. We're going to talk about fatigue, we're going to talk about weight gain, and we're going to talk about vaginal dryness. Katie, I love that you just came right out of the gate with that. That was amazing. I, I did just say vaginal dryness on this podcast, but you know, I'm still probably going to wake up later today and be like, oh my God, I just said vaginal dryness. <laughs> That was a big one for me. I was like, if I can get through this reporting and by the end of it, say vaginal dryness without a tiny, even the tiniest hesitation, I know I'll have gotten somewhere in my own personal journey. You know, I feel like when I started reporting that piece, the idea that anybody would say that uh, those two words together in public was almost inconceivable to me. And I like to think that um, because of all kinds of things that are changing in the world, um, women can talk about it. Why shouldn't they talk about it? Because it's offensive to some people because it makes some people go... Um, ick, you know, there's a lot of shame around um, aging and sex and the notion of older women and sexuality. It's sort of a punchline concept. And, you know, that really has to change. So, Susan, I wanted to sort of bring along the women who might be listening who are not 
ready to say vaginal dryness, you know, those women for whom this conversation, maybe they're having it in a couple of corners of their lives, but very privately, and they still feel confused about about things. Can you give us kind of a 101 definition of menopause? And in particular, the symptomology seems so broad. So like, what is menopause? And how do you actually distinguish what a menopause symptom is? That's such a great question. Okay, so... um you know, it's funny. When I started writing this article, I would talk about the idea of going through menopause. The way doctors talk about menopause, it's not something you go through. It's a stage that you reach. And you reach that stage when a year has gone by since your last period. It's just you are menopausal. It's like an adjective. You are menopausal when you've not gotten your period for a full year. Perimenopause, you, you do go through perimenopause. That's an ongoing stage when, you know, you're in kind of the last hurrahs of your reproductive cycles, I guess you could say. And your hormones are going up and down because various levels are fluctuating and other hormones are fluctuating in response to that. And your estrogen levels in general, the, the, the trend is downward. So that's what's happening during perimenopause. How do you distinguish menopause symptoms from other things, aging, stress? It's not always easy to distinguish menopausal symptoms or perimenopausal symptoms from just other symptoms of aging. But there's one symptom in particular that is the hallmark of this phase of your life, and that is the hot flash. Basically, your body regulation and the signals that your brain is sending to your body about what's going on in the temperature of the world around you gets just out of whack. And women have, um, you know, they break out into sweats and they are, they feel like they're burning from the inside. It can be, um, excruciating for some women. It can be many, many times a day. It often happens at night. And so it interrupts people's sleep. Now, there are a bazillion other symptoms that are associated with menopause. For example, people do talk about brain fog. They do talk about vaginal dryness. That does seem clearly to be a function of low estrogen levels. There are a few that I think are really overlooked a lot. And one of the ones I think is most overlooked is joint pain. And I mention that just because I sometimes fear that women go down a real rabbit hole of testing and meeting with orthopedists or rheumatologists. Is this, oh no, an immune disorder? And I'm going to list very quickly some of the symptoms that are also associated with menopause that could or could not be menopausally related. And then I'll tell you what one doctor told me she does when a woman comes to her and says, I don't know if this is aging or stress or menopause. But just quickly to go through some of the other ones, dry eyes, um, dry, real dryness. I think hair loss, although it's not clear whether estrogen therapy helps with the hair loss, but certainly around menopause, a lot of women do see a thinning of their hair. Um, weight gain, especially around the middle. Uh, there's a certain kind of fat in your belly that your body is trying to hang on to because it actually also retains estrogen. So it's trying to like keep those last vestiges. And that's why often women in, during menopause, they see their, their body weight really shift around a lot. Those are just some of the most common ones. So what this doctor said to me was that if somebody says to her, I don't know if this is menopausal or not, um, she'll say to them, well, you could try hormone therapy. And if it goes away, chances are it was menopausally related. And you can also get a better sense then, like you know, there is possibly some risk associated, very, very, very low, especially for women in their 50s. But there is some risk associated with it, especially after five years. Um, so you can see for yourself, how much better do you feel? And then you yourself can make a better risk-benefit calculation. Because if you don't have all the information, you can't really make the calculation. But if you know how much better you feel, maybe it's worth it to you. Maybe you stay on the hormones, maybe you go off the hormones, but you know what's going on. Okay, here's our first insight, and it's a big one. Symptoms of menopause and symptoms of aging are not the same thing. 
but so often they're confused for one another, even by medical professionals. Katie, have you felt like you have had good conversations with your doctors around this? Because I know this is another big issue that you uncover in your reporting, Susan, is just how often doctors underestimate women's pain generally, also that women of color have particular experiences of menopause. So it just makes me wonder, Katie, if you feel like you're getting um, the right kind of care. No, I don't. <laughs> um, I had a, con- you know, I'm part of a, like an HMO plan. So I don't, even though on paper, I have a regular doctor, it's actually kind of complicated to get an appointment with that specific person. So they just like, when you want to go in and see someone, you just get, you know, whoever the um, person that has the soonest appointment available is basically. I had one conversation with the person who was assigned to me that day who, you know, she took my, I had gone to see her because I was in a long-term partnership and we like to have sex with each other. And it was becoming, you know, like this, the, the vaginal dryness piece was really bothering me. It was just really actually impacting my kind of self-esteem around it. So I went to have a conversation and um, she was very valid. It was, um, she's a, a nurse practitioner. She was very validating and offered me, you know, made some suggestions of uh, different alternative hormone therapies. So it's like a, um, a cre- there's a cream and then something you could take orally. And I was sort of anticipating this really wonderful, thoughtful deep dive around you know, what I could expect. Um, it just wasn't like that, which I guess thinking back on it, sort of modern healthcare. They have 15 minute slots. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So she says she gave you a prescription for vaginal estrogen cream or some kind of alternative lubricant. What did she, do you remember? It was a, a vaginal estrogen cream. Yeah. That seems like a really good start. I have to say. Um, it was, and it was very helpful. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So yeah, that's I, I went around and told everyone, I yes. don't know if you have this issue or not, but this yeah. me. No, and actually it's really important to mention vaginal estrogen cream because um, unlike um, oral um, estrogen or patches, which, you know, do have some tiny risks um, associated with them, especially as you get older, um, there really are thought to be almost no risks associated with vaginal estrogen cream. And in fact, there's a contingent of doctors, including the fantastic um, Rachel Rubin, who's big on Twitter on vaginal health, and they're trying to get the black box warning removed because there's really no research to back it up. Um, it's there because oral estrogen and the estrogen patches, you know, there's some been some work, um, you know, that has left doctors convinced that there are indeed risks. But for vaginal estrogen cream, there's not a lot of reason to think that there's any risks. And so I'm at least really happy that your doctor did prescribe that. Okay, so Susan, a big part of your article is about the controversy surrounding hormone replacement therapy or what sometimes people call HRT. Can you give us the skinny on that? Just make us smarter about it. Yeah. In 2002, the WHI, which is the Women's Health Initiative, was a massive study only on women randomized control trial there was this big needle scratch, I always say. They they halted a trial 
after only five years that was intended to go for many more years because they had found that after five years in the women who took this particular form of estrogen and progesterone, that there was an increased risk of breast cancer that reached a threshold that for them would have made it unethical to continue the study. Now, that's not necessarily the level at which a woman has to decide for herself, I can't take this medication. It was just sort of epidemiologically speaking, they felt at that level they had to halt the study. Many people had thought that they were going to find that hormones were great for you, that it increased your longevity, that it was, you know, increased your heart health. When they didn't find all this great news and they found, in fact, there was some attendant risk, a lot of doctors absolutely flipped and a lot of women flipped. And they it was like this cold turkey. People just stopped prescribing hormones. Women stopped taking them. There was very little nuance about what the actual increased risks were. And in women in their 50s, the increased risk was, you know, it's the same increased risk across every age population. But if your base risk is very low, then a 26% increase of a very low risk is still a very low number. And that was really never explained to people. So that's the main reason why people stop taking hormones for a long time. Gradually, there has been sort of advocacy around this issue. And I think there's starting to be more education. There are also different formulations of these hormones that people now think are safer. Um, those are observational studies. And so they're not the same as randomized control trials, but they're very, very good observational studies. You know, there's there's differences of opinion around that, certainly, but it's certainly not as unsafe as people thought it was, uh, understood it to be around 2002. So that's the main controversial issue, I would say, or that's sort of the summation of the controversy. At the heart of all these controversies like this one around hormones, but also around safety, the pharmaceutical industry, and so much more, is one core question. How do we relate to women's suffering? Do we legitimize it, underestimate it, medicalize it, underplay it? The truth is, for some women, menopause isn't a huge deal. But for some, it can be life-altering. So far, Katie is navigating a space that seems like it's in between. So, Katie, when you said you didn't feel like you got the care you needed, what were you thinking of? Because it sounds like you thought that was a relatively good meeting. Have you had other encounters that were less satisfying? Yeah, I mean, so I guess about a year ago, um, I had really just started to notice a lot of changes in how I was feeling like, um, you know, just noticing increasing fatigue. And I have had, you mentioned hot flashes. I have had maybe three or four. And I emailed my regular doctor who is like in the system. And I thought, oh, I need some tests. You know, I need you to run some tests on me. So I can see what's wrong with me or figure out, like, give me a diagnosis of some kind. And um, the response I got was, well, you know, we don't really have any tests for that. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> true. And be wary of the doctor who are like, well, let me take a hormone level because especially during perimenopause, your levels are fluctuating so much that it's really right. just a snapshot in time. You know, this exchange kind of went back and forth a while, like me just basically reiterating something just feels really off. And I feel like I'm just not myself. You know, I did get certain validation, but it was just maybe a lack of engagement is a better way to put it. You know, like I was forwarded an information packet about menopausal symptoms that I could peruse at my leisure, which is like exactly what I want to be doing on my leisure time. 
I was really wanting to get into a conversation that felt a little more personal and a little more thoughtful. It's funny, you talk about what wanting a more personal moment in the doctor's office. It's like, you know, and I think, I don't know if it's just in the Jewish tradition, but like, you know, when a girl gets her period, her mom, like, you know, it used to be, she'd like slap you across the face, I think. Am I making this up? I think that was sort of the tradition. <laughs> but there's a moment like, this is a big deal, right? Yeah. And so right. you go to the doctor and you're like, you know, it's been six months since I got my period. I'm having hot flashes. You kind of want your doctor to be like, oh yeah, menopause. It's not easy. I feel you. Like, yeah, how can I help? Yeah. But you know, it, it's not necessarily doctor's jobs to hold our hands, but we can't help but want it. (laughs) You know, we're human for wanting the person we're opening up to, to acknowledge like, oh yeah, this is a big deal. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask, ask you about that piece, Susan, because, um, you know, full disclosure, Katie and I are in a women's group together, which has like, (laughs) we talk about, you know, we meet once a month, talk about everything under the sun and our menopause, uh, meeting was deep. I mean, people Mm, had such deep feelings about it. Some people had really deep knowledge, which was amazing. We've unfortunately had some members who've been through, um, cancer. So they've actually experienced some of the menopausal symptoms already. And so we were all like sharing information and it was just like, it was really a special meeting, I thought. Um, But one of the things we ended up sort of drifting towards was this distinction between these like private market solutions. Like someone had tried out the thermal watch that like helps cool Mm, down your body when you're having a... I've been curious about that. Yeah. Well, she loves it. She swears by it. Um, So we were sort of like trading, oh, take these supplements or take this, you know, different sort of tactical and product oriented solutions. But we were also saying like, we don't want to turn menopause into one more thing that we all need to like hack perfectly or pay Mm, for mm -hmm. relief from because that leaves behind women who can't afford a, you know, very expensive thermal watch and and so we are also invested in the cultural change around this of just making it that it should be that in medical school, doctors are trained that when a woman comes and talks about menopause, you have a couple of lines that mm-hmm. <laughs> you could rely on that acknowledge this is a big deal. So mm-hmm. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if you could talk a little bit about sort of the like private solution, like hack your own menopause approach versus like, how do we just have a bigger cultural conversation and like have collective solutions so that this doesn't become one more thing that every woman's like, oh my God, now I have to figure out everything. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's widespread agreement that there needs to be more discussion of it in medical school and various surveys have shown that, um, doctors crave more education about menopause in medical school. And that in surveys, many of them say, yeah, I don't know what to tell women if they come to me complaining of menopausal symptoms that they, they are admitting to their own lack of information. And simply because of the way that medical schools are structured, it's been explained to me, you know, often they're working in clinics where the, um, level of health problems are so severe that menopause is kind of low on the list. And also time is limited in medical school. So it's not a life or death proposition for most people. And so it's not as high a priority as some of the other, you know, illnesses of aging. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't be taken seriously. I mean, women's suffering matters and doctors should be trained in not just how to treat it, but how to talk to women and help them understand whatever risks, you know, do come with it. Because that's that's the most commonly known perception of menopausal hormone therapy is that it's going to cause breast cancer, it's going to put you at high risk for, for stroke, but it's, you know, there's some unknowns in there. So how do you help a woman understand a statistic like after five years, you raise your risk of breast cancer by 26%. It's not a quick conversation, right? It's like there's some math involved, but it's worth doing. There's, it's yeah. worth finding a way. 
Um, one thing, Susan, I wanted to get your take on is we have to have these conversations, especially for those of us in hetero relationships with men, right? Mm, that, I mean, yes. I love that your editor was prompted by a male editor. That makes me very happy. But so many men, you know, if women don't know what menopause, oh my gosh, like so many men really don't know what menopause is. Did you find anything in your reporting and writing about like how men are coming along in this conversation? I will say this. I mean, I, a friend of mine was, you know, having some, some joint pain and I truly don't know if it was, you know, menopausal related pain or not. She said, I've, I've got to go to my sports orthopedist guy uh, in a couple of days. And I did think, okay, well, th- that person's not going to raise the possibility that your symptoms are menopausal. So, so I'm, I will, because there is just no way in hell that the sports orthopedist guy is going to be like, so how old are you? Well, let me ask you something. Are you still getting your period? Are you having hot flashes? I mean, these are questions that doctors of all kinds, including psychiatrists, including neurologists, in, you know, certainly rheumatologists, when they see a woman between 48 and 54, loosely, who's having a new acute symptom, you know, it should dawn on that person. Women who think they're going through long COVID, I certainly believe in long COVID. I know it exists. That said, if a woman comes to a doctor and she's 52 and she says, I'm not sleeping right. I have brain fog. I have strange pains. I don't know what's going on. He should look at her and say, how old are you? You know, yeah. Are, are, you know, I think before you go down a million tests, try two weeks of, a, of an estrogen patch and see if it helps. Okay, here's our next insight. Everyone needs to start having this conversation. Women need to have this conversation with one another, one-on-one, in groups, on text threads, everywhere and anywhere. Doctors and nurses need to have these conversations in medical schools so that they're prepared to talk with their patients. And guys, guys, we need you to be open to these conversations with your partners, your mom, your friends. Maybe a good place to start is listening to this very episode right now. Kudos. Send it to all your guy friends. Okay, more in a moment. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Debt, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. 
A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. Here at How To, we've helped you learn how to bargain like an FBI hostage negotiator, how to make humor your superpower, and how to have the best sex of your life. You're welcome. Now listen, it's time for you to help your fellow listeners, and you can do that by simply sending us an email or calling the How To Hotline. If you have a dilemma that needs to be solved, we want to hear about it. Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. We might just have you on the show. That's howto at slate.com or 646-495-4001. We're back with Susan Dominus of the New York Times and our listener, Katie. Now, this conversation reminds me of an article written by the great Gloria Steinem in 1978. It's called, If Men Could Menstruate, and we'll link to it in the show notes. You really should read the full piece, but in short, Steinem asks, what would happen if, by some stroke of magic, men could menstruate? Her answer is hilarious. She said, menstruation would become a boastworthy masculine event. Men would brag about how long and how much. <laughs> now, take Steinem's question even further. What if men went through menopause? How would our cultural conversation about it be different? How would research and treatment be different? Wanda Sykes, the comedian, was having a hot flash on air in some interview, and, and she just made no bones about it. I am in the middle of a hot flash. You see me sweating <laughs> like this? What the hell? Do you need some water I need a like fan. That? I need, is this, is this water? I'm just going to pull this right over my head. Jesus. <laughs> she, I mean, she was really uncomfortable in a minute, and she, and she said, I'm having hot flash. Wanda Live Sykes. TV folks That's right here. Right here, yeah. I usually travel with a fan, but I didn't bring it out. Look at me. Good Lord. I look like Mike Tyson. Look at this. You look good. You look, oh, you sweet look, Jesus. You look great right now. Uh, Okay, so that's Wanda Sykes having a hot flash in real time. And then this is her talking about them on her Netflix special. Y'all, all of a sudden, you just flop sweat. You, sometimes I feel like I'm going to pass out. They're awful. They're awful. There's no way in the world men will put up with hot flashes. No way in the world. I think if a man had two hot flashes, they would blow the sun up. <laughs> <laughs> No, I start out my piece by saying, imagine that if men, you know, men were like tearing off their hoodies and like running to the bathroom to splash water on their faces. Imagine that their penises were, you know, shriveling in size and becoming uncomfortable or even painful during sex. Is there any universe in which the world would stand for that, that, that the world, you know, still controlled by men would stand for that? I find, I, I really do find it hard to believe. I really, I do. Yeah. Now, another conversation we have to have is with our mothers, right? You talk about how many of our menopausal experiences will mirror that of our mothers. Not necessarily always, but that that's one indication. Katie, have you talked to your mom about her menopause journey? A little bit. He, it's interesting. You know, my mom's from a generation that felt really that menopause was something you you should keep really private. And so she was not super into the hearing her menopause. Like, I don't even think she would find the term menopause journey very 
Do you think she's going to listen to this episode, Katie? No, my mom (laughs) does not know how to access podcasts. If I play it for her, which, you know, I certainly would do. She did tell me she was one of the women who she had been prescribed hormone replacement therapy and then had it, you know, they were like, oh, no, no, now you have to get off of it because of um, the concerns that you mentioned in your article. And she felt really frustrated by that process because her experience on the hormone replacement therapy was quite helpful. Um, And then when she had to go off it, it was, you know, like a really, she had really bad hot flashes and she was a kindergarten teacher for most of her um, career. And she found it really difficult and challenging to, you know, kind of keep mm-hmm. up in the classroom with like a little toddler. Oh, and stuff, wow. So. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. A friend of mine told me that um, her, that she looks back, her mom had a very tough menopause um, transition, but by the time her mom went through menopause, the kids were out of the house and her career was sort of quieting down. But for women who have kids older, you can be going through menopause and still have, you know, 11, 12 year old, 13 year old kids, you know, running around and that's a lot harder. And I always thought, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to turn like, I'm going to turn 50 and I'm going to hit menopause just as I have um, kids who are becoming lunatic teenagers and parents who are just starting to get really aged. And, you know, at this stage in your life, when you're supposed to be kind of taking like a victory lap, instead, you're both having physical symptoms, your kids are at a difficult age, your parents might be at a difficult age. So fortunately, I have to say all those things did not coincide. And in fact, my teenagers are quite nice most of the time. Um, And my parents knock on wood are in good health. But you can see that for many women, all these three things do hit. In terms of timing, I think I'm likely to find myself winning that triple crown, so to speak, and I hope my experience is similar to Susan's. I'll take the merciful teenagers and the healthy parents, please. Thank you very much. And speaking of parents, here's our next insight. If you're able, talk to your mother about her experience with menopause. It just might inform your own journey, and her perspective is going to be helpful to you in the long run. I mean, it's it's funny because one of the things I say is we should, you know, menopause is a time in your life when you should feel more in control of your life than at any other time since the time you've had your period because you are not at risk for having your life be hijacked by an unwanted pregnancy. But it is also a time of great confusion. I obviously think that women should be able to have a conversation, an open conversation with their doctors about menopausal hormone therapy. But I have plenty of friends who skipped it altogether, went through the hot flashes, went through the sleeplessness, maybe even went through kind of hell, and then ended up on the other side And I just know for those women, they were really glad that they kind of, in their mind, got through. And they, yeah, I think they did feel a tremendous sense of liberation. I've been thinking about how we can, at the risk of sounding kind of cheesy, reclaim menopause. I mean, we talk so much about the hard parts of it, the hot flashes, the awkward conversations with our doctors, the rage. But what about the potential liberation of it? Is there a way to create a ritual or something that helps us keep in touch with a significant milestone? I asked Katie and Susan about it. I mean, yes, I'm always drawn to ritual. I, you know, like you mentioned our women's group meeting that was like the most fun I've had in the last year. Honestly, it was so wow. fun, that conversation. Wow. And it was so safe. You know, and I did leave that conversation with dreams of like 
you know, bleeding under a full moon with my sister. (laughs) You know, sometimes it's interesting, like one of our friends in the group has like so much knowledge to offer around herbal remedies and salves and things that are kind of more witchy in nature. And that is very intriguing to me. Susan, this will tell you everything you need to know about our women's group, that this particular person who knows all the things about herbs, we were like, send us the list and make sure you put one fake herb in the list so we can all see if we can pick out which one it is because we thought that would be hilarious so she she put wasn't it pussy wart (laughs) (laughs) so we're like you know how many of us went to the pharmacy and we're like i can't find the pussy wart but i hear it helps with menopause that's (laughs) That's awesome that's so great i I wonder, Susan, did you run across anyone who's ritualized it? I just find it interesting because I remember when I got my period, my like very second wave feminist mom like really wanted me to like have a period party or do some kind she of didn't ritual. Slap and I was the like, face. <laughs> she didn't know. <laughs> we are not Jewish. Um, no, but she, she wanted to like do something sweet and ritualistic around it. And I was absolutely against yeah. it. Yeah, I was like, yeah. absolutely not. And I can only imagine my own daughter will give me the same treatment as is the karmic. Right. Um, But when you're older, like you can be open to ritual. And I'm not saying it doesn't have to be like some Wiccan thing under the moon, although I love your the direction you're taking it, Katie. But I'm just wondering, Susan, if you heard of anybody trying to create ritual around this. Well, it's really funny. A friend of mine where I live actually did have, I think when she turned 50, she called it like a crone party. (laughs) And she was trying to reclaim the word crone in an interesting way. And it was a pretty, I mean, she, she led a really beautiful women's circle and there was a lot of lovely meaning making and meditation exercises and bonding with each other. And I have to say it was one of the first times I have heard women go around a circle and talked about what they were experiencing in an open way. And this was easily four or five years ago. And it, it blew my mind. It kind of scared the hell out of me, to be honest. Um, and, but I thought I appreciated that she was trying to create ritual around it. I think, you know, it's funny, my friends and I were supposed to go away for our 50th birthdays and then COVID hit. So I think we went away celebrating our 51st birthdays. And by default, because it was something that we were all going through, we ended up talking about it for, you know, I, I, I think we talked about it for like 20, 20% of the time that we were away for four, three, three days or four days. We talked about it and what we were going through. Why was it so hard to find um, relief? I do wish we had actually stopped and been and, and had a moment and said, you know what? Let's like, let's toast us in this moment. Let's have a memory of us being together while we're all going through this. It, like, it would have been lovely to have just been like, wait, this is, we're going through something here. Let's recognize it doesn't have to be, you know, sort of witchy. <laughs> you know, it could be witchy. That could be wonderful, but it could also just be the kinds of things that we do. You have like a big cake and a bottle of champagne and you hug each other and you recognize that something's happening the way that you recognize other big moments in your lives. And I think doing it with women friends is a beautiful thing. What I haven't gotten to the point of imagining is how do you celebrate it with your partner? Um, whatever that partner's gender, I I maybe speak for myself here when I say you're there, you're afraid your partner's going to wake up. You're going to say like, I'm going through menopause, your partner's going to be like, oh yeah, I was finding you less attractive now that you mentioned it. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's, you don't want to draw attention to it, but I actually think there should be more thought devoted to how couples can make it something that they're going through together and sharing and not embarrassed about or not, pri- you know, suffering through privately or I don't know what it is, but I haven't heard that conversation either. And I think mm. it should be a conversation. I love that. That's beautiful. Me too. So one last question. I'm just thinking of how lucky 
the three of us are to have so many women friends in our lives, you know, hearing oh, about your yes. trip sounds so beautiful, oh, Susan. Yes. Um, there are people who don't feel like they have a lot of women mm. friends that they can talk to about this stuff. For them, mm-hmm. you know, where can they start? I mean, first of all, read Susan's article. We'll put it in show notes. <laughs> so sweet. You know, as Katie and I have attested, it, it's a real conversation opener. Maybe you can send the article to a couple people and just say like, hey, have you thought about this or whatever? Um, are there any other things that come to mind for either of you of what someone in that position might do to sort of start their own journey of understanding this better and and maybe being a little bit of a of a public force for talking about it. There is a new nonprofit um, that was started by a wonderful woman named Donna Klassen. Let me look for, I think it's called Let's Talk Menopause, Menopause Advocacy. And I would be shocked if they didn't also have, first of all, they have tons of information um, and they're working on advocacy and legislation for better, you know, medical care around it and better education in medical schools. So I recommend that, first of all, because it's totally free. There's a business called Alloy that prescribes hormones. So you might not want to get your hormones from someone who has a sort of profit margin coming from it, but they do have support groups and I've sat in on some of them and they were really, really touching and, and powerful. And there's also a telehealth company called MIDI, M-I-D-I. It's not in all states, but they have doctors who are trained, they're OBGYNs who are trained in menopausal care. So it's just like, and it's covered by, you know, many health insurances and they can prescribe, but they don't make profit from the prescriptions. They just can prescribe. So I think that that's a really good resource for a lot of women also because it's just so accessible. It's, you know, you don't know if you walk into your local OBGYN, whether she or he or they have been trained in menopausal care, but at MIDI, everybody has. Those are great. Super practical. Katie, anything come up for you as someone who's been on this journey of what someone without, you know, a a coven of friends might do? (laughs) I'm always looking for an excuse to make everything more witchy. So um, <laughs> that's definitely my my worldview. But um, this is more of a like educational resource. I read a book called um, What Fresh Hell Is This by oh, yes. Heather Karina, I think is her last. I don't know if yeah, I'm pronouncing you got it. it correctly. You got but, it. Yeah. Um, I found that book just absolutely wonderful and so um informative but the tone is really empowering and light you know very jargon light you know it's just very accessible that's I, a great I, that, great tip y- I have to jump in just because I also think that's that is a great tip. And also I recommend The Menopause Manifesto by Jennifer Guntner, um, I think is really um, also very straightforward, really helps you really take, because you, you, it has the leisure of breaking down the statistics uh, around, you know, what has research told us is, you know, it really breaks it down for you in a very helpful way. And um, I also like to talk about this wonderful book of poetry by a woman named Moira Egan, and it's called Hot Flash Sonnets. And it is just a lovely, tripping, delightful, honest, beautiful series of poems about menopause. And I don't know, I just love it. It, I, I got a huge amount of pleasure from reading it. That is the perfect note to end on. You two are just an absolute pleasure. Susan, your ability to explain what feels like very complicated um, stuff in just like accessible feminist ways is just an absolute (laughs) gift to all of us. And Katie, I'm just so grateful to you for doing this. I know it isn't easy to record a podcast like this. 
your ability to just jump on and be real and ask your questions is, I'm just so grateful. So thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to meet Katie and Courtney. It's wonderful to see you too. Yeah, thank you both for having me. I'm really honored to have been a part of this. Thank you again to Katie for sharing her story with us and to Susan Dominus for all her useful advice. In our show notes, we'll link to Susan's article, Women Have Been Misled About Menopause, as well as the other books and resources that she and Katie mentioned. And by the way, just a quick creepy update from Katie. She told me that basically all of her devices have been listening to her and now she's getting served up all these targeted ads about menopause products, including, and I didn't even know this existed, There's like a test you can take. It looks like a pregnancy test that tells you what your stage of menopause is. Bizarre. Okay, so sorry, Katie, we didn't mean to flood your your advertisement with menopause, but maybe something will surface that's actually helpful. Do you have a shopping list full of herbs, one of which is hilariously fake? Or maybe you have another problem that needs solving. Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we might just have you on the show. And if you have a tip for how to handle menopause, we are all ears. Drop us a line. Howto's executive producer is Derek John. Joel Meyer is our senior editor. The show is produced by Rosemary Belson with Kevin Bendis and Jabari Butler. Merritt Jacob is our senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Carvel Wallace is my co-host. I'm Courtney Martin. Thanks for listening.